Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All coaches aspire to be champions, and this time of year is when you set that vision for your team. By now, listeners of this podcast know about signature championship rings and have met some of the signature champion coaches who partner with them to celebrate their achievements. Reputable, affordable, first-class customer service are just some of the ways we keep hearing coaches describe signature championship rings. So as you're ramping up this summer for the upcoming season, create a championship vision for your team now using the design tool at signaturechampions.com podcast. Give your team a visual to motivate their pursuit of a championship in 2024. And when your team has a championship moment to celebrate, we highly recommend consulting with Signature Championship Rings. Welcome to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Today's podcast is with Jim Leonard, the defensive coordinator at the University of Wisconsin. This one is hosted by Joel Nellis and the first in our home team series, which Joel did for us for the 2018 and 2019 off seasons. The original concept of this came from a question I had about how do you achieve work-life balance? And we seem to be getting the same questions and I felt it was something we could probe into more and Joel Nellis came along and and asked if he could help me with that one and host a podcast with coaches that focused on exactly that, their home team. So he created the home team series for us, did an excellent job with his guests. We've already aired one from the archives with Sean Lewis a couple weeks ago. I suggest you go back and listen to that one. Tremendous tips from him on how he keeps his focus on the things that are really a priority in life first, your family, your faith, your health. And so this one today is with Jim Leonard from Wisconsin. I know it's one you'll enjoy. Keep tuning in to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. We have a lot of new things coming up here in November. And follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski, as well as check out our new website for the podcast, coachandcoordinator.com. Today on the show, we're going to start the first of our series of podcasts with our guest host, Joel Nellis, who's a high school football coach in Wisconsin and a former Wisconsin Badger. In this episode, we're really addressing the question of how do you achieve work-life balance? And through the interviews that Joel conducts, you're going to see that he touches on a lot of the topics that we always don't have the best answers for. After listening to these podcasts, I know you're going to have something great to take away from each one of them. So let's kick this one off with University of Wisconsin defensive coordinator, Jim Leonard. As coaches, we know that some of the biggest hurdles to our team's success can come from off the field. Your team needs support to tackle the endless list of expenses, uniforms, training equipment, travel, and more. But raising that money can feel like a full-time job. Thankfully, there's Vertical Raise. Vertical Raise is the premier online fundraising platform using innovative technology to create the easiest and most efficient system available. Raise more money in less time with a local fundraising coach who works with your team every step of the way to customize the ideal fundraiser. 
with options for online donations, digital discount cards, premium product sales, and even spirit shops, Vertical Rays has top-of-the-line solutions for every fundraising style. To find out more, visit verticalrays.com and we'll get you connected with an exclusive offer on your first fundraiser. I've always been interested in the use of technology to make our jobs more effective, so I'm excited to continue sharing modern football technology with you here on the podcast. This innovative system leverages tendencies to improve self-scouting, game planning, and in-game decision-making at the speed of the game. Modern football stands out because it's a battle-tested platform used by teams at all levels, like four-time national champion Bishop Gorman, the five-time California state champion Folsom Bulldogs, six-time Texas state champion Lake Travis, Cal football, and the CFL's Grey Cup champions, the Montreal Alouettes. So book a demo today to see why these teams trust modern football technology. Visit www.teammofo.com demo and mention Coaching Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code CC10 to receive 10% off your first year. Hello coaches and welcome to the Home Team Podcast where football coaches from around the country provide the coaching community with improvements to their game plans for winning as a husband and a father. Today we're going to be speaking with defensive coordinator at the University of Wisconsin, Jim Leonard. Jim Leonard joined the Badger coaching staff as a defensive backs coach in 2016. He became defensive coordinator less than a year later and went on to be named a Broyles Award finalist, presented to the nation's top assistant coach in his first season running UW's defense. In the first season under Leonard's direction, the Wisconsin defense once again was one of the most complete and high-performing units. The Badgers ranked second nationally in total defense, third in scoring defense, third in rushing defense, and had the number one pass efficiency defensive mark in the country at 96.4. Led by the Leonard coach secondary, UW gave up just 11 touchdowns through the air, picked off 20 passes, and was one of only four FBS teams to hold opposing teams under 50% completion rate. With a record 75 breakups to go along with their 20 interceptions, the Badgers led the nation with 95 passes defended. UW's defense allowed just 18 touchdowns in 14 games. Only national champion Alabama, at 17, gave up fewer touchdowns on the season. In the red zone, the Badgers surrendered touchdowns on only 11 of 35 opponent trips inside the 20-yard line, a leading clip at 31.4%. Leonard arrived on campus in 2001 as an unheralded walk-on and left four years later as a three-time first-team All-American. He played in every game as a, in his four-year career, including each of the last 39 as a starting safety and route to becoming one of the best defensive players in school history. Though he went undrafted, Leonard put together a 10-year NFL career with Buffalo, Baltimore, the Jets, Denver, New Orleans, and finished off in Cleveland. He played in 142 games over his 10-year NFL career, starting 73 of them. He made 14 career interceptions and averaged 9.2 yards per punt return. Coach Leonard, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I consider this kind of a really unique opportunity for you and I to get to chat in this context. Most of our conversations usually happen on the weekends and random phone conversations. So for the, the podcast audience, Coach Leonard and myself roomed together and played together at University of Wisconsin-Madison remained friends ever since we've been to each other's weddings so it's kind of a cool opportunity that we get a chance to speak on this level and kind of share some of our thoughts that we've talked about over the last number of years would that be would that be accurate absolutely 
unique situation for us. Obviously, we know way too much about each other, so yep. this conversation can go some bad places if it wanted to, but we're going to try to stick to football today. There you go. And also family, so that's that's kind of where we're going to start. And like Coach said, I I know this story, and I'll be interested to see how he tells it, but I want to start out with sort of the stars of the home team. That's the, the focus of our podcast is our, is our home team and what we do to take care of those folks. So let's begin with your wife, Katie. How did you meet this special lady? Well, we met at the University of Wisconsin. It's a special place for both of us being there and, and kind of growing up as people and was fortunate enough to meet her freshman year and we got much more involved later on in uh, in school and obviously very blessed to, to have her by my side through this whole process playing in college and in the NFL and now on to the coaching journey you know, very supportive in this this whole football world blessed to have three three little boys Reese is six Graham is three and then two months old we got Pierce three little boys so excited to to have those guys by my side that's awesome so you mentioned katie and what character trait makes her so invaluable in your life and how you guys have to work together with your coaching and things like that she was a former athlete so just the the time commitment and the issues that come up on a day-to-day basis she has a very good perspective for and just she sees things a lot differently than I do, so it's always great to have that sounding board, somebody to go who's going to see things a little differently and, and have different ideas on, on how to help myself out, become a better coach and, and teacher. So I really appreciate that about our relationship, and at the same time, she's she's going to keep it very real with me and, and make sure I kind of stay true to who I am and, and why I got into the coaching profession and, and in order to help guys get to the next level and, and make them better people, make them a better person on and off the field and reach all those goals that they want to hit. Yeah, I've definitely heard some of those keeping it real moments before. <laughs> uh, they are quite entertaining. They're not a how pleasurable. <laughs> hey, feedback is the breakfast of champions, as one coach once told me, so... It's always good. You mentioned, obviously, you have a new one, Pierce, and that's awesome, but Reese and Graham are certainly two boys that are, are fun and energetic. What what makes each of them unique in your eyes? Oh, just so different. Amazing to me going through this process of being a dad and just seeing how you – sometimes you feel like you're doing things the same, and, and your kids' just personalities are so different. Reese is just high energy, kind of crazy, but – he's a very emotional kid so myself being more of a reserved guy the challenge to get him to understand those big emotions as a little kid sometimes is a struggle but it's a lot of fun and he he lights up got a big smile and and grandma's he's a little bull in the china shop right now he's he's all over the place very physical kid just wants to be big brother it's it's fun to watch he's always trying to do whatever his big brother's doing and pretty cool to see him growing up yeah, that is. It's it's then there are those that will never meet them or maybe not see them. They're they're a ton of fun, a ball of energy, and uh, there's never a dull moment when you're when you're hanging out with those kids. You may you may catch one occasionally, and but they got energy to go for days, which is always cool to see. So, all right, next we're gonna move into a little section called "We Make the Call" and kind of discuss how your family has navigated some of the important decisions throughout your coaching career. Although 
I guess in this case, based on sort of your limited time in coaching, only being now three years in the game, it may be a little different than some of the other people we're going to have on the podcast who have been in 9, 10, 11 plus years. So we all know the commitment it takes to be a coach. How were those negotiations with Katie about this career move, considering that you had completed a 10-year career and then essentially had maybe a little over a year of time off from from not even really having a full-time job? Yeah, a lot of great conversations deciding to finish my playing career and kind of what's next as a professional. What what do I want to do? It was a lot of fun to go through that process, but also a little stressful trying to figure out what you what you want to be when you grow up. I was fortunate to play in the <laughs> NFL and not have to answer that question for a long time and honestly very fortunate to, to have played for that long and really be able to pursue what I'm passionate about. And I think coaching is a passion. Teaching is a passion. And to be able to combine those two, especially at the college level, I just, I like that age of kid. I think you can, you can really impact their lives. Their kids that are away from home for, for the most part, for the first time, just trying to decide who they want to be when, when they grow up, which is what I just had to go through and, kind of the impact that they want to leave and the legacy they want to leave on and off the field as a football player. I love that challenge, but yeah, it was, it was definitely an interesting time just throwing around a lot of ideas, interested in a couple of things, but didn't feel like it needed to happen at that time. And coaching was an opportunity that the right situation arose at the university of Wisconsin and it was going to be very difficult to pass up. Yeah. And, I, and we're all glad that you chose to make that commitment. And I know you and I had long discussions about that, and obviously it's worked out. And, and with a certain amount of ups and downs as you, as you navigate the process, obviously one thing that was kind of unique about your situation, a year into the job, Coach Wilcox gets the opportunity to be a head coach at Cal, and there's this opportunity that comes up to be the defensive coordinator. Again, knowing that that would be potentially a bigger commitment, what were some things that you and Katie maybe discussed that were different than even just the year before, even getting into coaching? Yeah, that was definitely interesting because it was one of those situations. My wife always tries to play devil's advocate in, in the what-if game. What if this happens or what if that happens? And, and I'm much more of a, this is the current situation and it's not going to change. <laughs> and we had multiple conversations where she asked, what if, the opportunity to be a defensive coordinator comes out or what if this happens and I kind of brushed it off like it's not going to happen we're at Wisconsin this is the right fit and I love what I'm doing as far as a defensive back coach and I think it was probably less than a week after one of those conversations when coach Wilcox got that call and, and made the decision to to leave and I got the opportunity to become the next coordinator so was definitely a little tense around the house saying, I know that we've kind of discussed this and we're happy, but I think it's <laughs> the right opportunity to to take the next step. So, yeah, it was, it was interesting. But once again, I'm uh, very fortunate to have her as as that rock to just say, you know what, this is what you're passionate about. This is what you want to do. Let's, let's go for it. So I'm very lucky to have that. That's awesome. The next series of questions is something that I'm going to get into a little more because I think this is something that we always discuss and I think will be really valuable for listeners. A series I call clock management. Kind of how do you 
How do you blend your time with family and football? I think a lot of us know the illusion of balance, right? It's it's kind of hard to to make it work on both sides. So you eventually just have to blend it into part of your lifestyle. So what are some small things that you do during the season to carve out time with Katie or even just to stay connected as husband and wife? Yeah, I think that is the, the trick that all coaches have to try to figure out what's best for them and their family. Family's far and away number one for me and, and making time for them, whether it's having my kids come into the facility for practice and have dinner afterwards or getting out early. The beauty of coaching right now is the accessibility to film and what you need to do. It's very mobile, so able to go home and, and get a lot of work done, whereas maybe I can go home a little early and see the kids and just sit down with my wife for a little bit, and then when they go to bed or whatever, I get back to work. And I think that's something that's changed in the last handful of years. Was, as a player, there was that shift when all of a sudden everything's iPads and online, things like that. So just trying to find that balance is definitely the tricky part about it. But if it's important to you, you're going to make it happen. And I need that in my life. It, it really grounds me. It, it makes me a better coach, in my opinion. So i got to find those times throughout the day to make those phone calls and FaceTime with the kids and different things like that because I think it, it helps put a perspective on what we're doing. Sure. You talked about a couple different things that you may do uh, occasionally, whether it's, it's the kids coming to have a meal with you. Is that something that you do on a regular basis? Talk about some, maybe some important ways that you found with your own children or even coaches around the program that they can get their kids involved so maybe that breaks up the monotony or gives them sort of extra time to see them maybe during the season. Yeah, very fortunate. Coach Chris is very family-friendly, so having those guys run up and down the halls every once in a while is, is a good thing. and It breaks up the monotony of the day, and very fortunate to have a head coach that allows us to do that. Two years ago, my, my first year coaching was we practice in the afternoon, so we're very open to have family around for practice, for dinners, things like that. And then all of a sudden last year we switched to, to morning practices during the season, so it wasn't available with my son in, in kindergarten and, and things like that. My my younger son was able to come a little bit, my wife could bring him, but it definitely changed things. But exactly just trying to find whatever times it is, like I said, it's I couldn't do it another way. I need that time with my family. It's very important to me to know that I'm handling my responsibilities at home. So whatever whatever the tricks are for you, that's you got to figure it out. But yeah, the, the phone calls, the FaceTime, that's huge. And any little time you can steal the to get them in there, that's convenient and, and works within the structure of what your coaching staff works with. I think it's very important. All right, this next part, I said you and I were able to kind of discuss this a little more so we can get the right questions. I think you may be more of an anomaly in the current coaching world. I think that you obviously value your time at home and don't necessarily believe that being in the office at 5 and leaving at 11 is the way, the best way to get things done. It certainly is an option for some coaches, but I think that the results you've seen as evidenced by the success last year maybe could give other coaches some hope that there is a better way and that's been proved by actual results rather than just theory. So I got a couple of questions. This one I didn't discuss with you, but I thought of today. Do you think that not being a GA and going through the traditional coaching journey 
has made you a better coach and have better perspective on how to utilize your time? I think there's there's value in it, and I also see how how maybe it helps me as that GA in that traditional role. It's it's very time consuming, right? It's it's the number crunching of the football world where you're inputting data, and it's just a lot of busy work. And I think that teaches you kind of perspective. You, you get a you learn the game well because just the consistency of going through that film and breaking things down, um, I think you learn to see the game a little bit differently. So I see that as a positive that, that maybe I would have learned from. And then also kind of skipping that skit step, I do see it as kind of a way to maybe to, to think a little more efficiently or, or to, I was trying to find a, a better way. I'm, I'm very big on, on that just trying to be as efficient as possible, whether it's you know, just the words that you're using to coach a technique or the consistency within the coaching staff, as far as you're speaking the same language and just trying to get kids better as quickly as possible. And, and how do you do that? I think maybe going a little untraditional route, maybe help me have that mindset. Okay. That's great. Let's take a look at your staff. How, how do you leverage your staff's knowledge and experience to be as efficient as possible, both in like game planning and film breakdown, but also on the practice field? And, and I know we discussed, you know, how one of your coaches you kind of leverage him in maybe a different way on the practice field. You want to discuss that a little bit? Yeah, I think it's extremely important as a coordinator to, to kind of know who your coaches are, how they teach, what environments you can utilize them the best way to get the most value out of them as far as your and yourself being honest with yourself as far as who you are and what your strengths and weaknesses are unique situation at Wisconsin right now with, with Bob Bostead as really being a career offensive line coach, obviously he has a very different perspective on defense and just trying to utilize that in kind of all aspects, whether it's on game planning, whether it's techniques and some things that maybe you think are important and, you'll chime in and be like that that really doesn't mean anything for for an offensive line or kind of what we're trying to get accomplished even down to like you said you mentioned our practice structure he really he really owns the the scout offensive line to get us the best possible look week in and week out and it's important for players to hear different voices in the room and understand that we're all trying to say that we're all trying to get to the same goal and we may say it a little bit differently we may emphasize things a little differently but i think it's important for coaches to realize or the players to realize these coaches have a lot of experience and it's it's not one voice leading it it's, it's got to be a group effort and i think that's one thing we're doing at wisconsin that's that's pretty good right now is our guys are really they've bought into what we're teaching and through that i think they've taken a lot of ownership in in what we are as a program and and what our expectations and what the standards are. When you game plan as a staff, how do you keep from going maybe too far down the rabbit hole? And by that I mean you're breaking down a team on week eight and going all the way back to week one and maybe games from last year. What are some simple questions you may ask your staff to kind of keep in mind so you can kind of stay on track with what you're trying to get accomplished to help win the game? Uh, that's a great question because I think it's very easy to do. 
in our case, there's no lack of information. We can find out almost as much as we want, and in most cases, I think you can go way too far. So the biggest thing that I always try to get across to our guys is my philosophy. Like, what do I believe in? How, how do I feel like we need to win games? And to me, it's it starts out with the fact that we want our guys to play as fast and as confident as possible at all times, in all situations. So that, to me, is always the thing that I come back to as we get down the path game planning. And a lot of really good ideas come up, but it would take away from that. And it's not maybe not worth it. The The risk-reward of, of adding something or tweaking something might not always be in that line of fast and confident. And I think it's also big just to get the culture to your guys that you can't control every situation. And there's going to be adjustments that need to be made in game. There needs to be adjustments within a game plan and not to be panic. And I, I think that can be taken as, trying to take the onus off yourself as a coach sometimes right you're trying to say like there's going to be stuff that happens we can't prepare you for I think there's a fine line of saying that and under preparing and saying that and having guys with the confidence in those big situations when something's a little off they don't panic and they know how to make the right adjustments and, and make plays so I think that is always a fine line that I'm trying to to find and I think the biggest piece of that is you got to know your team you really have to understand your team and what they can think and and that that fine line of what's too much and what's not enough for them and I think that's something that's going to change in a lot of cases week to week with injuries and it's very important to learn your guys and learn your depth when a couple pieces change how you have to change your mentality in order for them to be able to have success we talked about a little bit earlier today, just you and I, you had said one of those guiding questions may be, what's the fastest way to lose? Can you talk a little about that thought process and maybe just how you evaluate as like a big picture, maybe like a macro picture of how we might, what's the fastest way we could lose this game? And then how you kind of tailor off from there. Yeah, uh, it's <laughs> maybe sounds a little too simple, but that's that's to me the question you always have to go back to is what's the what's the thing that if you don't get accomplished is, is going to cause yourself to lose this competition? And in some cases, that is a very tricky question to ask as far as how to stop their best player or how to, how to contain their passing game or a certain guy. Maybe it's a quarterback that makes it more difficult, right, when, when he's involved touching the ball every play. But I think that's where you try to simplify the game when that number one question of the easiest way to lose is very, very hard. You gotta, you gotta dig in and, and find the right ways to give you guys chances and the changeups off of that. And maybe you can't go much farther than that for that week. And if you feel like you got a pretty good handle on that answer on, on how to contain that player or that situation, obviously that's when you can dig a little bit deeper and get a little bit more, intricate in your game plan but so i think it's a way once again just to become efficient it's always understanding you got some great change-ups to what you want to do but all of a sudden it gets away from that question number one well yes if if this guy gets the ball in that situation we're, we're really in trouble and it makes something that seems like a good a good call or a really bad one in a hurry 
So I think it's it's that way of kind of the once again it's always to me as a, as a coordinator trying to find some of those checks and balances, and that's one of the easiest one I find is just always kind of resorting back to how do you stop in in all those game situations what can beat you the fastest, whether it's a red zone, third down, normal down and distance. What are you really trying to contain and work in your game plan off of that? Going back to the fast and confident comment, one thing that we've discussed before is, all right, so you, you install your base and you have that, and I think some coaches maybe get in the habit of, okay, well, now they know this. Let's add something else, and let's add something else. They've shown they can handle it. Let's throw another piece on there. How do you work to maybe constrict that a little bit and say, you know what, this is what they're good at, and we know we can make some adjustments. Let's not throw a whole other package at them. Let's not add this so that, again, maybe your guys can play fast and confident. How, how do you make that decision to maybe limit yourself? Because obviously people that know you know you're a very cerebral guy in terms of the football world, but how do you kind of pull back and say, well, maybe that's not going to help us win on Saturday despite what I know? And can you can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, Absolutely. Number one to me, the coaching side is just to remember it doesn't doesn't matter how much you know, it matters what you can coach, and it matters what you can get your players to consistently do. So that's the trick. If you can't get your guys to consistently do it, it's it's not the details aren't there yet. So you got to pull something back. You either got to find another way to say it, another way to coach it, or or scrap it altogether for a little bit until you can get it to that point. Definitely less is more type of mentality. Even though the background that I came from with Rex Ryan and all that, you'd think it'd be the opposite. I think that was his trick, was being able to teach very detailed things and looked like chaos at times, but I think he did a good job of teaching it to at least enough guys understood it to where it really didn't seem like that big of adjustments. And the thing that I took from Rex was it's extremely important to have that foundation of who you are so your team knows that. In our case, our defense knows that. And then be very open with your adjustments, your kind of complimentary calls and why they're important to where not only they know what your foundation is, needs to be very clear. These 10 calls, these five calls, whatever that number is for you, this is the foundation of who we are. And then these complimentary calls go with with that package and they know why and when i think that just creates the ownership i think it creates the confidence in the group they know why we're making some of these adjustments and they know exactly why you want to get to that point where they may look over and they know kind of what's coming and maybe it's if it's a or b they know it's going to be one of those calls i think that's a very powerful point to get to as a as a coach that's very powerful stuff. I think you, you hit everything that I think is important for a lot of folks to hear, including myself. You talk about developing the guys in the room, and I think the, you know, there's not probably a standard metric you could look at and say on maybe a Friday night or a Thursday after practice and be like, hey, our guys are ready. But how does the buy-in from your players and developing that room and what goals they want to accomplish and believe in, how does that with your group specifically now at Wisconsin, obviously you had a talented group that a lot of those guys are gone and obviously had a chance now to get drafted in the NFL, but that you can feel confident that, hey, I know that they'll be ready to play on Saturdays and I can kind of ease back and say, hey, they're going to be the ones to make this play. 
I know the calls I'm going to make. How do you how do you build that in a room and get that buy-in from players? Yeah, very tricky to do. I think the recent success that we've had obviously helps a lot. When you're winning games, it's easy to get kids to to buy into what you're teaching, and I think the consistency of your message. We spend a lot of time on just what you're telling your kids and. I think that's the beauty of what we do at Wisconsin. It's very simple. We push smart, tough, and dependable. And having a true, genuine care for your teammates. And we we don't like to get much past that. We think that kind of takes care of, of everything. You genuinely care about that locker room and the man to your left and right. And you're going to be smart. You're going to be tough. You're going to be dependable. We can count on you to, to lead and take this team to the next level. We don't We don't need a whole lot of extra fluff around that and it's simple it's clean it's it's something our guys believe in and they've seen it work when you have success it's easy to get buy-in because they've seen it when you're trying to create a culture or take something to the next level i think it's harder to get the buy-in when they when they haven't seen it on a year-to-year basis so i think that's the number one thing that we have right now at wisconsin to get get that buy-in is the consistency of, of what we're preaching to these kids. And they truly believe that they are the difference. It's it's not the scheme. It's not necessarily the coaches. It's buying in and playing for each other and, and playing like ultimate team football, which is a really cool thing as a coach to see because that's – you have special things. You have a chance to do special things when things are directed by the players and the coaches are really there just to keep them within the white lines and make sure they're going down the right path and being men of integrity and their their actions are really matching their their words now's the time to save 30 percent on wedding jewelry only on bluenile.com make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands all hand finished and graded for excellence or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Sweet. I know that as you, you've had a chance to do some clinic stuff and you talk to different guys at, at multiple levels, is it hard maybe to not get into the comparison trap? And I guess the, the, maybe the difficult part of this question is two years ago you guys were had a phenomenal year. This past year, obviously only one loss. But is it hard maybe to look at guys that say they work longer and wonder if, like, you're really prepared or not? Does it ever thought ever cross your mind, like, oh, man, if I spend a couple more, like, would that make a difference? Or do you just kind of brush it off and just feel confident in how you handle your business and, and the results that it's provided? I think the athletics and, and coaching falling in that is it's big time comparison sports. You're always looking to your left and right and kind of seeing where you stand and how you feel you stack up. And so obviously I think you want to look and go different places and talk to a lot of different people to see what you can pick up. Maybe little tricks that guys are using to, to improve and to help get their team to, to win and be successful with that. I think you have to truly know who you are as well. Cause you can definitely go down the wrong path. If you, if you don't have that confidence that you're, you're doing things the right way as well. So I think it is a, a fine line of 
seeking more knowledge and trying to find maybe a different way to think about a, a problem. And I think there's there's power in getting in a room with a lot of people that you know, you, you're dealing with the same issues and kind of how do you think your way through it. I, I think that means a lot, but I think you also have to fall back on who you are and what your personality is and what you can coach confidently, what you can teach confidently. Sometimes it, it might be a great thing, but it's just not you. And you have to be willing to admit that and realize, well, can I, can I tweak this and make it something I can use and so it's valuable to my team? Or, or is that just not for me? There's a lot of ways to have success. It was fortunate to be around a lot of different coaches that did it very, very differently and, and had success. So I think that's helped with that philosophy a little bit. And it was fun this offseason to meet with a lot of people and kind of realize that probably 80% of the conversations we had, whether it was good and I believed in it, just wasn't going to be right for me and how I taught in about 20% of what was talked about, I thought really could help take me to the next level as a teacher and as a coach. And hopefully as a, as a team, we can, we can implement it and, and, and take that next step. Two years back, you guys were playing Penn State in the big championship game. You guys had come in on quite a roll. I think you'd had mm, somewhere around 12 picks in five games. And in the second half, Penn State had a number of big plays. Obviously, it was probably the difference in the ball game, them coming out on top. I think I jokingly said to my wife after one of those plays in our living room, like, they should fire the defensive back coach, which, in case in point, is you. And I know I, I called you, I think it was a couple of days later, and I had thought about it a little more because, obviously, didn't go the way Wisconsin, being a lot of my care, but, obviously, you and I talk about things on a maybe a different level sometimes. And the question I asked you was, if you had been in the office for two more hours a night, maybe throughout the entire week, was there anything really you could have changed based on how that second half went? And you may want to answer how that question, the way you answered it to me that, that afternoon. Yeah, I, I, I remember the conversation. Hopefully I remember what I said. It was one of those situations where it, you're trying to stop the bleeding. and They're hitting you with some big plays, and we were definitely a very confident group coming into the game. And the first half said nothing different. We were on top of our game and playing really well. And all of a sudden, you, you get hit with a with a couple of shots down the field, and you're trying to you're trying to get off your heels. And just like a, a boxer, you, you take a punch, and you're just trying to get your get your feet back underneath you. And we unfortunately weren't able to do that. Schematically, they create some problems. You know, all those teams create some problems. Saquon Barkley is a different type of different type of cat. Obviously, as you see what happened with him in the draft. I felt confident in our game plan, and I don't necessarily think it was execution even. It's, it's making plays, and that's, I think, the thing that you ultimately have to be able to live with at the end of the day. If you you feel like you're putting your guys in position to make plays, and sometimes it's not going to come out the way you want it. You, you reevaluate wait the situations you're putting them in and, and how to get them better at those situations. But you know, felt coming out of that game that we we're going to have to win one-on-one -on -one situations. And I thought we were in a great spot mentally and physically to do that. And unfortunately we couldn't get it done that day. So it was a game you walk out and say, you know what, I, I think we left it all out there and it eats you up inside, but I think you, 
you got to feel good about putting the kids in opportunities to win. And like you said, it's that's more of the situation that I took out of it was got to find a way to get them better at those situations and to be able to win one-on-ones on a consistent basis. And sometimes that's the answer. And, and other times I think you, you do got to find ways to schematically help your guys out. And you have to be honest with yourself as a coach and as a coordinator when, when those situations arise. And I always try to let my players know. And guess what? This third down was a terrible call. Even sometimes they make it right and they make a play for you. This is really a bad call, and I appreciate you guys getting me through it. Or, you know, obviously easy when, <laughs> when you give up a big play in those situations. But I think it's important for guys to know, like, as, as a coordinator, you're not great either. There's times when they make mistakes, and then there's times when, when we can help them out. And as a coach, I think it's very important to get your guys to understand that aspect of it. It's not always as simple as what if we executed better. Some situations it is, but some situations as a coach we put them in a bad spot and they really got to be perfect or make an extraordinary play to get you out of it. I think it's very important that players know that the good and bad, when they do make that extraordinary play and also when they when they don't and why it hurts. I think the bigger point too is simply also that it might be easy for you as a, as a again, a young not a young to football, but obviously younger coach, to look at that game and be like, oh, man, I probably better spend two more hours a night being prepared for these situations versus really evaluating, okay, what was it that broke down? Like you said, was it schematic? Was it guys making plays? And then not get caught going further down the rabbit hole on a weekly game plan saying, all right, well, I want to make sure that this game, this situation doesn't happen again. And so I think that's kind of the cool point is, you made those conversations, you had those conversations with yourself, with your staff, with your players, and you still function the same way. Now you're a little more efficient, you own up to what needs to be owned up to, and at the same time, you're not necessarily saying, hey, i got to burn the midnight oil to come up with the perfect plan at any given point to make sure that doesn't happen again. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's a tricky balance to find out what is just more time and, and what needs to be done better and, and differently as far as your game plan goes and you know maybe your your individual plan and, and how you're getting those guys better but I think it's it is very valuable for your players to really understand that process and to go through that with you and not be separated from from that whole journey so yeah it was it was a good good lesson to learn and obviously the, the trick of coaching is is learning how to how do you beat teams that are as talented or more talented than you are? You feel confident with your game plans generally when you feel like you're a little bit superior as a team. So, yeah, you can spend a lot of time trying to go through all the scenarios that you can, and that's where you've got to understand that you can't control all that stuff. And a lot of times the other talent on the other side of the ball dictates what you can and can't do. So you're trying to give them the best plan, but understanding that, yeah, there's unique issues that come up when you're playing teams that are as good or better than you. And you have to be able to prioritize what's important and what you think you can coach to give those guys the confidence to go out and win in that situation and be successful and play with that confidence. Awesome. This final set of questions we'll call prevent defense and maybe hoping to provide 
some bigger picture things that coaches can or that can prevent a coach from losing what is most important, and that's obviously their family uh, connection. So, by your players seeing your commitment to your family, how does that maybe indirectly help them grow as men? Well, I think obviously sports can be very self-centered. It's how do I get better, even if it's wrapped around the team concept. I got to get better to help this team get better. That's a great mindset to have, but a lot of it revolves around you. And I think it's very important for your players to see that it's, it's bigger. It's not always about them. It's not always about the coaches. It's not always about, I mean, and and in some cases it's not always about your family. There's sacrifices that are made by everyone that touches the program and I think it's important for the for those guys to see that because that's life. There's going to be sacrifices in everything that you decide to pursue, and you have to. Some of them aren't comfortable, and some of them you regret. But it's it's daily, and I think it's very important for your players to see that as a coach, you are also going through that, just like they are as a student, as a student athlete. They're at times sacrificing their academics to be more dedicated to the sport. At sometimes they feel like they're ac- sacrificing the athletic side because they have to concentrate on the, the academics. So I think it's important for them to see that as coaches and pointing out around the building that everyone's really going through that same, that same thing. Cause that's, that's life. And that's how football translates to life. <laughs> that's a great answer. That's a great insight. After a loss, or how do how do Reese and Graham maybe help you keep perspective as as you as you deal with those things? I think once again you realize it's it's bigger than that, and they don't care. They see you and they just want to run. You'll, you'll see them after the game, and it's, you'll meet them in the indoor, and it's like, all right, Dad, let's let's go, let's chase me, let's play tag. You're it. You know, as, as low as you are, is is it puts things back in perspective and there's times they take it hard and you're trying to navigate the same conversations you had with your 17 to 22 year old players. You're trying to have that with a six year old and and talk them through it. So I think sometimes (laughs) it helps you just kind of, kind of put it all in perspective. And I think that's, that's the fun part is, is realizing how to find this balance and, and what's important to you. Once again, I think it's for your. It's important for your players. There's a lot of quotes I go through on a week-to-week basis from one of my kids. Like this, this is what I'm going through at home. You guys think you got it tough? This is right. this is a question I got when I got home. It's some, sometimes very deep for a, a young kid, and you don't know. How, you know, as a parent, you, you don't know how to answer that question yet to your six-year-old. And it's always kind of funny just to uh-huh. put it in perspective a little bit. That's awesome. All right, this last question I call victory formation. So we all know that coaching is obviously a noble profession. Additionally, we know at the end of the day, the accolades of the players we've coached and the win-loss record will probably mean very little to our family. But what legacy are you striving to create for your own family through the vehicle of coaching that maybe you couldn't do in any other profession? I would say to me it's probably just the passion of what you pursue, the passion of what you put your time into and making sure that, that your family and your kids see that. And I think if, if, if they see how much it means to you and how much positive impact that it, it puts on you, 
they're going to learn from it. And, and I think that's, to me, one of the most important things, right? You, you want your kids, whatever they decide to get into as they grow up, to just be passionate about it and care and, and care about the people involved in it and feel like they're making an impact. And to me, out of coaching, that's the word that, that I want to be known for. It's, it's very passionate about the people I surround myself with and, and how we can all make each other better and, and help each other out. And you know, I really want my kids to understand that that's, that's why I do this. That's why I want to teach the game of football and to help these guys out. And hopefully that's something that they carry on with what they, what they get into when they grow up. That's great. Well, Jimmy, we appreciate your time. I know you're busy on the road finding the next group of, of badgers. So be safe out there and, We'll look forward to connecting with you soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was a great conversation. Thanks again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski and check out our new website for the podcast at coachandcoordinator.com.